Welcome to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. Today is October the 19th, and my name is Christine Kim. I am broadcasting to you on this late Wednesday afternoon from the University of British Columbia, Vancouver campus from unceded Musqueam territory. On today's show, we will be talking about two past productions that the Arts Report went to cover and three future productions we are looking forward to covering. We will be reviewing James and Jamesy in the Dark, as well as Concerto Extravaganza put on by Vancouver Academy of Music Symphony Orchestra. For the second half of our show, we will be previewing the 2016-17 season of UBC Symphony's Orchestra with director of UBC Music Symphony, Jonathan Gerard. Additionally, we speak with Svetlana Dvoretsky, who will be enticing all of you listeners to crab tickets for the Russian pianist Denis Metsuev's performance tomorrow evening at the Chan. And finally, an early shout-out to reserve seats for the arrival of chart-topping vocalist Marisa, who will be returning to Vancouver Wednesday, November the 2nd at the Chan Center. Without further ado, let's start the program. Now, as many of our most faithful listeners who have been listening to the Arts Report since last school semester will have probably already noticed, my co-host Ashley Park and I do not host shows together any longer. And this really isn't for any other reason than the fact that our schedules are slightly more restrictive this term than ever before. Nonetheless, we still love, love, love covering events together, and we miss our glory days of bantering together on air about a particular production. That's why when the two of us went to go see James and Jamesy in the dark for its opening night performance on October the 5th, we really couldn't help but pretend that we were still in the studios chatting away despite the fact that we were at basically a tea shop with nothing but a handheld recorder. Take a listen to our review. Hello, Arts Report listeners. This is Christine Kim. And I'm Ashley Park, and we're drinking tea. Yes, and we're both the show hosts of the Arts Report, and we both just saw James and Jamesy in the dark. Yeah, it was actually really great. It was at Granville Island, uh, Waterfront Theatre. Really great opening uh, show. The crowd was, like, completely packed. It was. It was a packed house. What did you think about the performance? I think the, the reason why there's a packed house, you can definitely tell both the actors were really just vibrant in the way that they portrayed their characters. And they're able to connect with the audience in such kind of like a command that, um, that when I was actually, you know, sitting there, I felt very drawn to them, even when actually some parts of the performance went dark. So if you guys don't know, there will be times when the performance goes completely dark. No lights. You can't really see anything around you. It really felt like a blind experience. That's true. That's very true. And I mean, even talking to some of the um, other attendees who are sitting beside us, it seemed like James and Jamesy had already kind of built a name for themselves. Mm-hmm. People knew who they were and they. Mm-hmm. some people had even already seen some of their shows before. Um, so it, it really seemed like going to see somebody that... Um, there was a lot of anticipation for them. Mm-hmm. And for me, I, I came in completely blind. I didn't really know anything about them. Uh, same with you, I, I, I think. And because we came in with, with no idea of what the show was going to be about, for me, I enjoyed that element of surprise, especially when the show opens. You are treated to a visual spectacle. You have these um, men who don't even look like men. They look quite alien. They have lamps on their heads. The light is um, kind of just like flaring from these lamps. Nothing else on stage. So this is the only kind of light your eyes will get drawn to. So they are definitely commanding the entire stage with their presence. And what they do is they appear one at a time. They carry in a chair. They put it on the stage. Then they go into a spotlight. And they go. 
I'm ready. And then what happens is there is a rushing of sound, rushing of noise. Then they go whoosh, almost. And then the light completely goes out like that, and they disappear. Another person comes in and repeats the cycle again. Of course, they're dressed very similar. If you are not paying attention, you might think it's the same person again, but they are two, in fact, very different actors. I think one of the things that I loved the most was the improvised humor. So I could mm -hmm. tell that they had a uh, storyline that they do every single show, but there are aspects of the of the performance, especially when they're interacting with the audience, mm -hmm. where they have to make up their own lines, have to make up kind of jokes on the spot. Mm -hmm. And I, I felt like the two did a really good job in making sure that uh, their humor was always authentic and on point. Mm -hmm. For them, their dialogue is actually quite sparse. You only get maybe a few words being repeated over and over again which leads to kind of an, um, for me, I read it as an absurdist point of view with especially the cyclical sort of um, patterns that are happening. So one person will go like, you know, are you ready? Like, I'm ready. You ready? I'm ready. And sometimes at, at times you can't distinguish who is ready and who isn't. And it is really interesting that um, the names of the characters are exactly the same. We don't know if the... If the second James only copied the first James when he said, what's your name? I'm James. What's your name? I'm James. So we don't really know if that's true or not. The most interesting thing is there is kind of a, a rivalry slash friendship happening between these two Jameses, especially with how they kind of, um, as you mentioned, interact with the audience. One of the most uh, funniest ones is when the audience was actually uh, vocalizing with the gestures of the actor, he would raise his hand, they would raise their voice and go higher in pitch and then go down and he would close his fist and the voice would go completely silent. And I think maybe it was just different audiences, but the actor, James, James 1, who was on our side, had much more louder you know, participants and then James 2 would have much more quieter ones. And I think he got sad, like the character. And that was really interesting. Yeah, I, d I definitely thought that was really funny, too. The other thing, too, was... They came towards us, remember? They came in towards the audience. They, you know, they, d they did that hand-person-moving thing. So they, they moved, like, a little finger, like, hand dude over different people's hands. Right, 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 right. I think yeah. you were scared of that happening to you, though. <laughs> yes, I, I wasn't. Uh, I'm not big on audience participation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, yes, it was, it was quite... Uh, quite the interactive play. Oh, right. This this was what I was thinking about. I also really liked how the friendship blossomed between the two characters. Mm -hmm. Initially, they were pretty fright fearful of one another. Yes. But by the end of it, they were so sad that they would have to depart or mm -hmm. end the show and that they would be they would stop having the good time that they were having between each other but also with the audience mm -hmm. um, so that there's that sense of like oh I'm sad to see you guys go or like I'm sad to see that this is this isn't gonna end now um, so I, I really like that um, amicable kind of um, amicable kind of like uh, relationship that formed mm -hmm. one thing I um, noticed is even though the format seems very like a loose form that they are just physically clowning in the beginning, maybe have a little bit of dialogue, and then they are just doing some repartee with the audience. It is, if you look within the entire structure and see from beginning to end, there is a message that goes throughout, especially when, as you mentioned, they were both frightened of each other. And they had the lamps on their heads. They've never seen their own back before, just because 
their light has always been forward. They can never look behind their own back. It kind of showed, well, I felt it, it conveyed a message that you need someone else to see the entirety of yourself, that you can't see everything with just your own two eyes. Mm-hmm. You need someone to basically look after your back. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, with how they were talking about me and me becoming a we, and then referring that to the audience, it really brought in a sense of disparate people being a community for one second, even if it meant being in a theater together. Because definitely you don't know any of these other people in the audience. Maybe you know a little bit they're your friends or whatnot, but most of the time they're strangers. You never really participate with them in any way except in theater, especially in our audience participation. You become this like group without even knowing that you're part of a group. Mm-hmm. There's a, that's the thing. I mean, with James and Jane Z, there's really simple humor, like the physical comedy that they start off with, mm-hmm. but they have some really deep messages that um, come across that come across throughout the play and really leave you thinking about these kind of meta-level ideas after the show. Mm-hmm. Especially in the idea of metaphysics, too, and the idea of, maybe I'm reading into it, but I was thinking the idea of um, separation through, you know, death and whatnot, because they're talking about the spotlight that, you know, whoosh, whooshes them away as, you know, creation. And the fact that they had to like, return to you know, creation, which made me you know, kind of wonder, are we in the, are we the audience who has to see them go? Are we in the realm of the dead or are we in the realm of the unborn? Like, where exactly are we falling in this kind of um, almost like a, can I use like, like limbo, purgatory? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Of like um, creation and not creation. So a lot of things that kind of left us thinking. And Ashley and I, we saw this um, on October the 5th, the opening night. Mm-hmm. Um, and this show will be running until October the 16th. But probably when this review goes up, their show run will be done. Mm-hmm. Um, but for anybody who's interested in it, um, any of their other shows, any of the tours that they might be doing in the future, um, James and Jamesy does have an official website. It's jamesandjamesy.com. And there you can see all of their shows, all of their tours um, that are upcoming. Um, so before we end off this review, Ashley, was there anything else you wanted to say about the performance that you hope will entice at least our, our listeners to check out the website at least? Well, one thing I want to say is I'm ready for more Jeans and Jay-Z. Are you ready for more Jeans and Jay-Z? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So definitely check it out, especially if you're kind of interested in theater that relies more on kind of um, the raw emotional side, especially with body language, especially with connecting. And it is quite good for people who, you know, also enjoy maybe a little bit of, like, quick-witted, like, British dialogue. It has a bit of that, too. So it has a little for everybody, and I really enjoy, like, the main themes about the show. It really spoke to me. Nice. I do hope that you will check the duo out. For anyone who is just joining us, this is the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM, uh, bringing you the latest in local arts and culture right here in Vancouver. Now, the second production that I have come that has come and gone is Concerto Extravaganza, which was a showcase of incredibly talented young individual musicians. The six soloists were winners of the Vancouver Academy of Music's 2016 Orpheum Theatre Concerto Competition, and I'm not lying when I say I was seriously blown away by the talent these young musicians displayed on stage. The first soloist was only eight years old playing the violin, scene de ballet. The repertoire of music that followed for the rest of the performance were classical music pieces that were familiar, but not too familiar that 
it's overplayed in the classical music genre. For example, Fantasy Brillant by Esther Kwan was played on the flute, and I had never actually heard this piece played on the flute before. And I got to speak with Esther over the phone about a week prior to the performance, and I created a short piece in promotion of this event, which went up on our Mixcloud account. Take a listen. Hello, Arts Report listeners. My name is Christine Kim, and I have got a new classical music concert slash event that you need to check out. The Vancouver Academy of Music Symphony Orchestra will be celebrating the next generation of classical music stars in Concerto Extravaganza. The Vancouver Academy of Music Symphony Orchestra season begins with this performance. It is going to be an inspirational showcase of young, up-and-coming, talented musicians. It will be held on October the 16th, 2 p.m. at the Orpheum Theatre. The specific musicians that will be featured will be the six winners of the 2016 Orpheum Theatre Concerto Competition, backed by more than 100 Vancouver Academy of Music Symphony Orchestra instrumentalists. I got to speak with one of the solo performers, Esther Kwan, who is a passionate young flute player um, who started to play at the age of seven. She's now studying with Caroline Christie at McGill University Schulich School of Music. She was a finalist in the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra School of Music Future of Excellence competition. And to find out more about her as well as how she's feeling for this up-and-coming concert, take a listen to our interview. Um, my name is Esther Kwan, and I play the flute. I've been playing it for like over 10 years, and I'll be performing the piece by Bizet called Carmen Fantasy in the concert with the Symphony Orchestra. That's incredible. And seriously, congratulations. <laughs> I mean, I know you're Thank only you. 19 years old, and this is a mm-hmm. pretty big show. Have you ever performed that uh, piece before? I performed that piece a lot of times with the piano, but not with the orchestra. <laughs> oh, so you're also um, well-versed in, in, in piano as well. Yeah, I kind of play piano, too. <laughs> Very cool. And when did you start preparing for this piece? Well, I started like in June, no, in May, I think. Probably two months before the competition starts. Gotcha. And how are you feeling for a Sunday? I'm pretty excited. I get to go to Vancouver again. <laughs> Great. Have you ever been to Vancouver to perform before? I live in Vancouver, but I just like moved to Montreal like recently just because of the university. And tell me what you're studying at uh, the University of McGill. So I study. Obviously, I'm majoring in flute. <laughs> so I'm a student of Shoic um, Music School. Music. Tell me a little bit about what classical music means to you. It's just part of my life. It's It just comes out naturally because <laughs> I've been playing classical music since I was like seven, six. <laughs> do, do any of your family members uh, play classical music? I was the first one. <laughs> wow. I that... didn't know we had like this musical talent in our like family. <laughs> Tell me how you were first introduced to the flute. This is kind of weird, um, but... I like whistling, so I whistle a lot. So my mom thought, like, oh, it would be great if I play the flute because I can't whistle well. <laughs> and we had the flute at home, so she just, like, 
as a tutor for me and then I started so yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's a bit funny but yeah that's how I started and I mean it's it's incredible that you are going to be uh performing at such a young age with the Vancouver uh, yeah. Academy of Music Symphony Orchestra. Tell me, have you met any of the other uh, musicians that you'll also be performing alongside of? Well, I was in Vancouver Symphony or- no, Vancouver Academy of Music Orchestra last year, so I know all like the orchestra members, but not the soloists, no. Okay, tell me what it's like yeah. working, um, or at least your experience having worked with the mm-hmm. the Music Symphony Orchestra in Vancouver. It's it's amazing opportunity because we get to perform like four times a year in the Orphan Theater. So you get the stage experience mm. and working with others, like listening to other parts and like cooperating to create one music. So that that's like a really greatest part vintage, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And did you get a lot of direction from and mentorship from any of the uh, people there? Oh yeah, we we get like this um, section leader. So you can, they are like a great musician in Vancouver. So you can ask them questions if you have them. And then they also give you like advices on how to success as a musician, I guess. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of guidance. Any words on kind of what you hope to achieve, I guess, um, in the next couple years? I kind of want to go back to Vancouver and have a, like, open a solo concert after I graduate from university. Right, right. Like, like four years, yeah. And so, Esther, what is your favorite um, piece on the flute to play? I actually like Carmen Fantasy, which is um, performing mm. Saturday, Sunday, because this was the piece that before I played this piece, I was like, I felt like I was a young, like, child. But mm. as I was playing this piece, I got kind of mature. <laughs> I kind of grow with the piece, I guess. So I was able to express the things that I couldn't express when I was young. And this piece, I think it brought out the characteristics that I never experienced before. So it's pretty special to me. And on that note, do you mind saying a couple words on why people should come out to the concert? As for young musicians, it's really a big stage right so um we work really hard um in order for us to express as much as we can to um communicate with the audiences and it would be really great if um there are lots of people who could cheer us up and really listen to what we produce out of our instrument well thank you so much for your time esther do you want to give the Mm. details for the concert for anybody who's listening um and anybody who's interested in going well it's on sunday october 16th it starts at 2 p.m i i'm really excited and i i hope like i could see um, many people there to um so that they could enjoy our stage and a lot of different genres and a lot of different styles um, it'll be a great experience for all of us. Great. And where can people get tickets? Uh, tickets at the door for, I think, 10 bucks, And also you can get it online. Yeah, thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Do check this event out. And for more Arts Report content, do tune into our weekly broadcast on Wednesdays from 5 to 6 p.m. PST on CITR 101.9 FM. 
I hope you enjoyed that piece, which was a special upload to our Arts Report Mixcloud account, which you can follow yourself by typing in www.mixcloud.com slash artsreport underscore CITR. The reason you should definitely check our Mixcloud account out is because when I uploaded the uh, piece for Concerto Extravaganza, it actually went up in conjunction with a special ticket giveaway for a free pair of tickets to the performance. And these kind of special online ticket giveaways can pop up anytime, so please do keep an eye out by following our Mixcloud account. Now, if that weren't enough social media talk already, I do also want to do a quick shout out to our Arts Report Instagram page, which has recently been revived, where you can, and if you follow us, you can get instant updates on what we're covering in real time, most of the time. <laughs> our handle is Arts Report CITR, no spaces, all lowercase, and we've got pictures from, obviously, Concerto Extravaganza, but also James and Jamesy in the Dark, and a whole bunch more. After a short break, the Arts Report will be back to talk about 2016-17 UBC Symphony Orchestra season and upcoming performances at the UBC Chan Center. So, please do stay tuned. You are listening to the show that brings you the latest on arts and culture in Vancouver on CITR 101.9 FM. Having trouble finding affordable, fresh-baked goods and coffee? Come down to Agora Cafe located in the McMillan Building at UBC. There's also space available to study. Without the help and support of our friends, we here at CITR wouldn't be able to bring you all the great music, art, cinema, and culture that you love. Thanks to the long-standing support from the Rio Theatre, we are able to keep you informed on all the great artists, films, and everything else coming to town there. For all the current information about who and what's playing at the Rio Theatre, visit their website at www.riotheatre.ca. Support listeners, thank you for joining us today. It is now time for the preview half of the show. On Friday, November the 4th at the Chan Center, UBC Symphony Orchestra will be having a performance featuring guest conductor from California State University, Johannes Müller Stoch, who will be presenting two classical music pieces, Beethoven, Egmont Overture, and Rimsky Korsakov, Capriccio Espanol. Now, the entirety of the UBC, UBCSO's season is looking quite notable, and the reason why I know this is because two weeks ago, I spoke with Jonathan Gerard, the director of UBC Music Symphony, about everything from not only the upcoming season, but also the classical music genre in general and how it's changing. His insights were profound, and despite the fact that some of you may have already listened to this interview when it first went up to our Mixcloud account two weeks ago, I really do think that it's worth the replay. Sure. I'm Jonathan Gerard. I'm assistant professor of conducting and ensembles. I'm the director of orchestras at University of British Columbia School of Music. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming today to the CITR studios and for speaking with me. So tell me a little bit, just to start off, about the 16-17 season, because I know that the 15-16 season for UBC Orchestra was about the university centennial. This year, what are we looking forward to? We have a really exciting season 
program for this year. Um, it's fairly eclectic. It's um, not so much celebrating anything in specific about the centennial of UBC, but we are featuring some fantastic faculty and students and uh, their works in with our performances this year in the orchestra. So the very first concert, which is happening on Thursday evening um, at 8 p.m. in the Chan Center, is going to have, uh, we're starting off with Dvorak's Carnival Overture and then a work by uh, Ernest Bloch called Shalomo. It's for um, solo cello and orchestra and Professor Eric Wilson um, from the School of Music, who's the cello professor, is going to be performing as the soloist. And then we're um, finishing the concert with a work by um, the German composer Paul Hindemith, his work Matisse der Male, um, which is it's a symphonic work that he wrote in 1934, and it's based on um, on three paintings in the Isenheim uh, altarpiece, the famous uh, Renaissance uh, work um, by Matthias Grunewald. Um, and, and so we're going to be having a bit of a discussion about that, too, with uh, Professor Alex Fisher, who's on the musicology faculty, as well as a multimedia demonstration. You mentioned that a professor would be playing in it. I thought this was a mainly student orchestra. It is a mainly student orchestra. So it's most of the students in the orchestra are are music majors in the School of Music. We do have some non-majors that are in the larger UBC community that are performing in the orchestra. There's a few of those. And generally speaking, we have students that play solos with the orchestra. But I like to also feature um, some of my colleagues because I think it's a really important thing for students to get a chance to play alongside their teacher in a public performance. So we do some of that as well. Now, the second thing is the pieces that are going to be featured on this Thursday at your guys' concert. Why you're starting off the season with these three pieces and what's special about them? Sure, absolutely. So the first piece by Dvorak, Carnival Overture. Yeah. It's really joyous, and it's kind okay. of rambunctious. Okay. And and um, it's just, uh, I think it's kind of ce- celebrating life and uh, celebrating a joyful spirit. And um, there's a real exuberance to the writing that he uses. It's very accessible, and I think everyone will, will really, you don't have to be... Um, a classical musical aficionado to to say, hey, this is really cool, you know, and, and a really fantastic piece. Good. So so, and I think that can really be said about almost everything that we're doing. Um, so, you know, we really are trying to make sure that people feel like there's no boundaries at our concerts in terms of between the performer and the audience, and we want to make all of the listeners feel that hey, this is not something that's separated by class or by your level of education or anything like that. This is music for everyone. And we want we want everyone at UBC to, to have this available to them, hmm. which is why we're also um, doing free student rush tickets for all UBC students this year. Tell me more about that. We ah, need to know okay. about this. So my understanding is, is that the tickets become available an hour before the concert. And 
it's first come first serve so it's somewhat limited depending on how many tickets we have left so if you're interested it, you want to strike while the iron's hot and be there early um, but I think it's it's a really great thing be, could be a good thing for date night anyone who's uh, looking for something interesting and and uh, new to do or just loves music that's Amazing. I think that's such a cool thing you guys are doing. And that's for every concert you guys have this season? It's almost every concert. There's a couple of special events where that's not the case, but the majority of the orchestra concerts are, are going to have this free student rush. Very cool. And this is a change from last year, so we're trying to find ways to make sure that the greater UBC community feels mm. that they can take part. In, in the concert. And, you know, if you, if you feel like making an $8 donation, it, consider it two lattes, and uh, it will go to help some of our students in the orchestra with some of the projects that we're working on for them. Right, for sure. And on the topic of projects, so beyond yeah. the concert this Thursday, are there any notable um, guests, any notable, I guess, projects, like you said, that we should be keeping an eye out for? Sure. So let me walk you through the rest of the season. Okay. So we have a a concert in uh, November, which is going to be after the one after this. There's actually two concerts in November. Um, Johannes Müller-Stolch, he's a German conductor. He teaches down in uh, Long Beach, California, at the uh, California State University at Long Beach, their conservatory there, and he runs the orchestra program. He'll be conducting uh, my teaching assistant, uh, Alex Toa, who's a graduate student, is going to conduct one of the pieces on the concert. And so that's the Brahms Second Symphony, um, the Beethoven uh, Egmont Overture, and then Alex is conducting uh, Rimsky-Korsakov's Capriccio Espanol. So it's really um, top 100 classical uh, music fair. Um, and then after that, in the end of November, in I think it's the uh, in, in mid-November, we have a very special guest coming to UBC. The composer John Corleano. Um, he um, he's probably uh, I mean most well noted in in the popular culture for being the com the film composer of the Red Violin. This is a another concert where we're going to feature a faculty soloist. David Gillum is going to play the violin, and we're going to do um, uh, a work that he has taken from the film music of that movie. Um, it's a concerto for the for the Red Violin for for the for violin and orchestra. And also the Symphonic Wind Ensemble with Dr. Robert Taylor, my colleague, is going to be performing um, his uh, epic wind piece called Circus Maximus. And it has all kinds of crazy things in it. It's really neat. So there's, there's uh, as well as the UBC choirs under Dr. Graham Longauger. So this is sort of like a prism concert with the large ensembles at UBC coming together for this festival of Corleano, John Corleano, who will be here as well. In December, we're performing um, uh, Mazorsky's Pictures and Exhibition, which uh, I'm sure if you heard it, you would say, I know that piece. Um, and it's another piece of music that was inspired by um, art, <laughs> by a, kind of a walk through a gallery. Yeah. And um, so that's happening. And then also we're doing a premiere of uh, the North American premiere of a work by Arvo Parrott. He's an Estonian composer um, who writes in what we call a Tintinabuli style. Mm -hmm. It's where a lot of his music has 
the sound uh, the, it features sounds that mimic bells ringing and so the whole concept is resonance and he's he's really really popular so the UBC symphony will be giving the north american premiere of a work he wrote in 2015 called sequentia and then on the same program we have a student um kira chapman performing a work by a Russian composer, Glier, um, Concerto for Coloratura, Soprano, and Orchestra. So she she's a, a student in the School of Music, and she'll be singing. So that, that takes us through December. Then in the spring season, we have, um, we're performing Holst's epic, The Planets, um, and uh, a work by Finnish composer Kaya Sariaiho called Asteroid 4179. Uh, she's, um, that sounds like sci-fi. <laughs> yeah, so it's going to be a very space-themed concert, um, which, which will be pretty neat. And then the final concert in April is um, Mozart's Requiem. And then Stephen Chapman, who teaches in the composition department at the, at the School of Music, he, we're going to perform his work called um, uh, A Song of Joys, and that's with the choirs, the orchestra, and then two uh, student percussion soloists. So one will be playing timpani, and the other one will be playing um, other percussion instruments. That's Julia Chen and Aaron Graham. So I think uh, it's going to be a really exciting concert. So you can see it's a very diverse season, and there's Mm -hmm. lots of, I think, things that are really... Um, that speak to everyone. Yeah. yeah, and one of the things I really appreciate about the season is that you guys are featuring new classical music, and yeah. that sounds like a juxtaposition because when you think of classical music, you only think of of deceased European composers from the Renaissance. This new classical music, do, do many people know about it? I think so. I think that more and more symphony orchestras are trying to program works that are... Um, that are current and that they're able to to keep growing the canon of repertoire that exists for the orchestra mm-hmm. and um there's just some very fascinating things going on i mean music continues to develop in all kinds of different ways and it's amazing that despite the fact that we're all using essentially the same 12 notes mm-hmm. that there are such vast um combinations of these of these things and arrangements that we can still produce new works today that are fresh and really invigorating and um, are definitely in their own have their own language to offer just like composers that have come before them and so that's actually one of the things that I think is really important I want our students to know that music lives on Mm -hmm. and we need to be performing the music of our peers we need to be performing things that are contemporary as well as the absolute masterworks so I think it's it's a really important thing in the curation of a concert when you're thinking how do we assemble something that that um, that acknowledges the past but is also looking forward right right you know I think maybe the the last thing that I'll add to that Mm -hmm. is that you know I think that orchestras are trying to dispel the fear that something new equals something unaccessible you know and I think it's a matter of um, finding ways to help the audience hear things with our ears of 2016 that allow them to make sense of what they're hearing 
in, in I think, a very relevant way. I, the sounds of our time are different than the sounds of Mozart's time. So I think the, the repertoire and the types of pieces that an orchestra performs need to develop as well. Do you think that to cater, I guess, to our ears today, or at least the general public's ears today, classical music needs to become more basic? You know, I don't know if that it necessarily needs to become uh, less difficult to understand. I think that we have tremendous capacity as human beings to process all kinds of things, even if we don't understand the syntax of what's happening. I think that the challenge that music faces today, not just classical music, but all of music, is that as a society, we're not very good at listening and focusing for long periods of times. And so, you know, it's really, this is an opportunity to come to a concert and to kind of unplug yourself from what's happening in the outside world, to turn off, you know, your social media feed for 40 minutes and to just kind of give your brain a rest and allow it to just focus on one thing, you know. And I think there's that component. And then the other component is that I think I... I am I'm trying to champion the fact that people should feel comfortable at classical music concerts because this is, you know, back when Mozart was writing the Requiem, that was essentially the pop music of the day. I don't know if that that helps kind of break it down in a better way, but I think that there's a lot of barriers that folks sometimes perceive about classical music. In reality, they don't really exist. And when I've had conversations with folks and I just play them something, mm-hmm. good music comes above everything else and it's able to shine through and it's able to affect us as humans and to really touch our soul. And on the topic of breaking those barriers, why don't we um, talk a little bit about the value of musical education? I know that you are a professor also here Mm -hmm. at UBC. You teach courses such as instrumental conducting and fundamentals of conducting. Um, So tell me about what kind of value do you see in music musical education? Well, you know, I think first and foremost, music education is something that we as a society should be embracing more. From someone who's in preschool all the way up to someone who's in adulthood. And because music is the universal language of humanity. It doesn't require a translator. It doesn't require um any sort of special um, presentation to be communicable between us and between different societies. I think that um, the value of music education is that it allows people to work as a team. For instance, the orchestra is working as a team. Right. We're able to listen to each other. We're able to support colleagues that are maybe have something more important to show just in the moment and then we're able to then present ourselves as as that um as the need shifts because it's such a dynamic thing Mm -hmm. i think that um there there's been all kinds of studies lately that show that being a musician or learning an instrument Mm -hmm. has um enhanced the amount of brain function under um, various when when researchers have been scanning for brain waves they've seen cross connections by music um, created in the brain that other disciplines don't have so there are all of these positive um, uh, uh, 
things that happen just by studying music that haven't been able to be replicated in any other discipline. So there, there, it's very um, compelling the reason why one should, should, should try to study music in some way, shape, or form. I mean, not necessarily become a professional musician, but to have music in their life is a real good thing. Um, it provides a social um, activity. It provides a sense of community. And um, maybe what we should do is we should just talk about our new prof president, Professor Santa Ono. I think he's a fantastic example of someone whose life has been touched by music. Really? And he's stepped away from music for a bit and has come back to it. And he gave a presentation to the School of Music students um, a few weeks ago when he talked about his own study of the cello and how he basically put the cello away for a long time. Mm. And then he felt that there was this thing that just wasn't making his life um, quite as rich as it once had been. Mm -hmm. And so he brought his cello out and he started performing again. And, um, and he was talking about the types of ways that him being re-engaged with music made him feel, I'm paraphrasing for him, but I mean, it definitely, he was talking about all the positive benefits. I think that we have decisions to make as human beings and we can choose the types of things we want to do. But, you know, I think that there are fewer barriers than people think exist mm -hmm. for this. And I agree with you. I think it's best to start music really early to be singing as a child or to lear start learning an instrument because our brains are developing um, the types of pathways that are necessary to, 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 to be successful as a musician. But I also think at the same time that it's never too late, you know, to find a way to engage with music. And, um, you know, it's not necessarily that you have to be a performing musician, you know, you could just be a, a lover of music and someone who listens to lots of music. The famous uh, critic of the New York Times, Olin Downs, um, one, one time he wrote a review and I think one of, one of the people responded to him said, well, how can you write this? You're not on stage performing. You're not doing any of these right, things. Right. Like, what gives you that kind of uh, ability to do that? And, and he said, well, you know, you don't need to lay the egg to eat the omelet. <laughs> and I think that that's kind of an interesting perspective, right? Because we can enjoy lots of music without actually creating it. Right. And we can create it if we want to, too. And I hope that with this season, with your guys' new initiative to kind of reach out to more UBC students on campus, that you guys do find that success. And for any of our Lynch listeners that are interested in either the Thursday concert or just following up with you guys for the rest of the season, do you mind giving us the details of where they can get more? Sure. So probably the easiest thing to do would be go to the Facebook page for UBC Symphony Orchestra, which is UBCSO, or follow us on Twitter at UBCSO or Instagram, or if you Google UBC Symphony Orchestra and the School of Music, you'll find a listing of all the concerts and details. But we're really hoping to see you at our concerts, and um, we're thrilled to be able to bring great music to UBC. So, please do keep your eye out for UBCSO's upcoming performances.
especially the most recent upcoming one with guest conductor Johannes Mueller Stocksch on Friday, November the 4th at the Chan Center. For anyone who's just joining us, this is the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. Myself, Christine Kim, and my show host, Ashley Park, who will be hosting next week's show, uh, brings you the latest in arts and culture all over Vancouver and sometimes even in the country. On the topic of the Chan Center, there's a few seats left for tomorrow evening's performance by Russian pianist Denis Matsuev. Now, if you haven't heard of him already, you will today because Matsuev is recognized as a first-ranked soloist and has performed at major concert halls such as Carnegie Hall in New York and the Royal Albert Hall in London. I spoke with Svetlana Dvoretsky, the Canadian show producer for his show, over the phone in anticipation of the big performance. Absolutely. My name is Svetlana Dvoretsky, and uh, I'm a founder and executive producer of the company called Show One Productions, and we are the national presenter of the high-caliber international artists. We invite them to perform in Canada, and um, we're very proud of it. Now, I know that you're here on the show to talk about Denis Matsuev. Tell me about who he is. Denis Matsuev, besides being um, one of our beloved artists to work with, he is uh, one of the most prominent uh, pianists um, that, that live on the planet right now, when, you know, 21st century. And uh, um, the whole thing happened to him when he won the Tchaikovsky competition. And as we all know, Tchaikovsky competition is like an Olympic Games. If you win it, then um, then it's all, all the all the roads are open for you. Really, it's not. Yeah, well, it's it's a very it's it's the most important and the most serious competition, hmm. and uh, he won that in 1998. Uh, it was 11th international competition. And it was a triumphant win. And I must say, you know, I must say that not every musician who ever won that competition had such a tremendous career after that because it's not just required the immense talent. It requires a lot of stamina, a lot of stamina. It's like in any sport, you have to have the temperament for it. Then once you know, like, especially nowadays, uh, the guys who win those competitions with internet and everything, and by the way, the last competition was um, simultaneously translated on internet, so the whole world, like, I think 12 million people were watching, so it's a lot of pressure, and one has to be able to um, cope with that pressure. Of course. Uh, Besides not losing what you have as a musician besides you all of a sudden have an obligation to perform at a certain um uh, at the, at the certain events and all of a sudden you have the concert proposition from all over the world so it does require a lot of character and that's why that's why not everyone make it to the level that Dennis were able to make it and that makes him absolutely unique because this man who is really just over 40 he achieved so much that many people you know like have to live 15 different lives in Mm -hmm. order to achieve what he achieved by now uh 
besides being a brilliant musician that the whole world rave about, and if you open the internet, there is, you know, the, the critic rave, and they, they say, just recently, we were in Montreal this year, and they said there's a, basically no equal on the planet, or maybe very few. And that's coming from the French critic. <laughs> That means a lot, a lot, you know, and he uh, he's loved by critics, he's loved by the audience, which also are two different aspects, because critics are mm -hmm. looking into the musicianship and audience, they're looking, of course, into musicianship, but they're also looking at, like, they, they want to be pleased in many aspects of things, and for instance, Dennis, he plays so many encores at the end of his two hours recital. And he also plays jazz, which he does after each concert as an encore piece. Mm -hmm. So all of those things that makes people come back and come back all the time to see him. Um, for instance, in Toronto, we just had his recital in... Uh, back in um back in january of this year and he's coming back now in october it's basically unheard of that the artist can fill up the hole within one year it's absolutely unheard of but people who know they come and they know they're gonna hear something absolutely different and they're gonna have the most enjoyable time the other thing is about this particular artist that like I said, besides being a musician, a soloist with the major, major orchestras in the world, working with the major conductors, major record companies, he also holds um, a several uh, very important positions. He's a president of the Rachmaninoff Foundation. He is a president of the huge charity that helps immensely the new talents. Uh, that they discover. He runs, I might be wrong here, three or four international festivals. He's an artistic director of the festival in France, the NSC. I believe uh, there is another festival which I just, just escaping my mind, but there is, there is so much that he does. There is a lot to be said about him as an artist and as a human being as mm. well. So Svetlana, you've met Matsuev Dennis in person. Yes, we have been working together since I believe 2008 or 9. I don't remember when the first time we've met. Wow, okay. Yeah. So yeah. you know him beyond just as a pianist on the stage. You've talked to him personally. Tell me about who he is as a person. Like, what's his character like? He's the most charming. He is a lot of fun. He tells the best jokes. He's a crazy soccer fan. He plays hockey. By the way, three of his fingers were broken back in back in the days. And he has a very like he's a very typical representation of what, you know, people call Russian soul. He's like wide and large. He loves loudly. He he you know, he, he smiles the whole face he's, is smiling, you know. So he's this kind of a person, and also extremely energetic. So that's that's 
impossible to believe the schedule that he leaves. But he never, that's another thing that I, I, I know about Dennis, he never, ever, ever complains. Never complains. I've never heard, you know, and I work with a lot of artists. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and you don't have to be the artist like, to have the mood swings. You know, we all do. But artists especially because they're sensitive people and, uh, and a lot depends on what kind of mood and state they are. Dennis never fails you. <laughs> he's always in a good mood. Always. I'm always. still shocked that he's... Usually if you break even one of your fingers, your career is just... Yeah. Over. That's yeah. absolutely incredible. Um, it so is incredible. Tell me about the program for this year. I know that he debuted in 2011, but he's coming back with a new program. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me about what he's going to be playing on October the 20th. It's a very, very versatile program. He's playing one of my favorite uh, <laughs> pieces. It's it's a Prokofiev Sonata Number no. Two. Um, he's playing a very famous piece. Uh, it's called Memphis the Waltz uh, by Liszt. Um, it's uh, as we know is is the um, um, is the um, uh, devil's devil's waltz. Um, and uh, he also plays a very, very beautiful sonata by Prokofiev, beautiful music by Schumann, and Tchaikovsky Meditation, that's also fantastic, very soothing music. And like I said, he's he's completing program with a Prokofiev sonata, which uh, will make everyone shake. And then then we'll see what is prepared for the encore. It's usually a lot of surprises. Um, is Dennis at all thinking about doing a jazz concert in the future by any chance? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yes, the answer is yes. Um, we just don't know when because he plays jazz quite extensively and he do- he's doing a lot of it back back home. He does duos, trios and quartets and quintets and he he's invited to play jazz quite a bit. Uh, but out in the West, he hasn't done the program yet. So it's probably going to happen. We just don't know when. So Dennis is touring right now in Canada, correct? Uh, no, he's not uh, touring in Canada. He is coming back to North America for um, a few recitals, including Carnegie Hall and Arbor. He's playing Denver. Vancouver and Toronto. Okay. Um, and that's all within maybe like ten days time. And uh, but he's pretty much playing almost every day, almost every other day around the world. So we're kind of lucky. There's there's no time for such artists to tour Canada per se. But we always try to find the time that he comes to Toronto, Vancouver, and Montreal. Right, right. And I mean, that's like you said, you guys are, it's a very packed schedule. Is there any particular things that you need to be wary of and just making sure that Dennis is always kind of on his A game for each performance? He gets the energy from playing concerts. Most of the, or all the artists do. And that's, and that's uh, a very, um, 
very important that they keep playing, you know. But it also, like like I said, it depends on the character. Some artists, they need a break. They need to recoup. Mm-hmm. They, they can do that as often as, as Danny's does. It depends on the person, but this is a very, very individual individual thing. What he does is more rare than otherwise. Do you want to give a couple words on why students in particular should come to the Chan Center on October the 20th to see this performance? You know what I wanted to say is this. If you're a classical music lover, you don't need to be convinced, okay? Very Um, true. (laughs) If you are not, one of the things that Dennis, and and that's uh, totally started that movement, now the classical music is very trendy back home back in Russia. Hmm. It's always been, um, I mean, it's in comparison to North America, you know, like people go and listen to the music all the time and it's part of education for everyone, et cetera, et cetera. But it also, because of him, um, it became trendy. And a lot of young people in the audience, and that's what he's really, really trying to achieve. And that somehow it works. So, um, what I wanted to say, if you've never been to a classical concert, this is a perfect, perfect place to start. If you have been, but you thought that maybe it's not for you, this is a perfect place to try it again. And I am very interested in the fact that you said Dennis really brought classical music to the mainstream in Russia. I, I didn't yep. know that. Yeah, absolutely. Because he wasn't lazy. He went on TV. He, he, he hosted some programs on the television. He did some funny things on the talk shows. He, like, and it wasn't just promotion of him, which classical musicians, they don't really do that. They don't right. do that. Uh, it was to bring the younger generation to the ho- to the halls, you know, like it's uh, and it's totally working. It's totally working. If someone who would never thought of going and listening to classical concert mm-hmm. and they came to the concert, that's a bigger win that if you have someone, uh, you know, if you have regulars and yes, they come and and, and listen to you, that's fantastic. But if you bring someone who'd never been to the hall, uh, that's a bigger win. Right. Well, thank you so much again, Svetlana. And do you mind repeating for our listeners the uh, performance date as well as how they can get tickets? Sure. The performance date is Thursday, October 20th, 8 p.m. Chan Center. And you can go to chancenter.com. So the ticket office phone number is 604 822 2697. 604 822 2697. And I look forward to seeing everyone there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. Fantastic. We'll see you there. The Arts Report will be right back after a few short commercials. You are listening to The Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. Want to know what's up at UBC? Read the UBC. It's only the largest student newspaper in Western Canada, and it's written and edited entirely by UBC students. The UBC is your source for on-campus news, culture, and sports. New editions come out every Monday and Thursday. For breaking news, as well as amazing videos and blogs, check out ubc.ca. 
Terrific. There always wanted his character to be bigger than life. Ladies and gentlemen, it is without question the greatest sports and entertainment event of all time. Be a part of it Monday from 1 to 3 p.m. The Parts Unknown Show on 101.9 CITR. Sometimes cosmoses collide. Break your fingers. Welcome back. Now, before we end off the show for today entirely, we've got one more preview you need to know about early on. Marisa, a Portuguese fado, 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 hmm, a Portuguese fado singer, will be performing at the Chan Center on Wednesday, November the second. She is renowned for her commanding presence and soaring vocal range that has brought this Portuguese musical genre to the spotlight. Not only will her performance at 8 be something to look forward to, but preceding the concert at 7.15pm, award-winning playwright Elaine Avila will be presenting a pre-show talk in the Chan Center's Royal Bank Cinema, discussing the importance of this musical genre, her own Portuguese heritage, and her newest work, Lost in Fado. I could not avoid saying the word. <laughs> so to end off our show and in promotion of this upcoming uh, performance by Marisa, as well as the pre-show by Elaine, we'll be playing a song, Mew Fado Mew, by Marisa herself, which was her very first single released in Portugal from the album Transparent. Thank you so much for tuning in to the show. We really appreciate every single one of you listeners. For more information on anything we've talked about on today's performance, please feel free to reach out to us on our social media accounts, Facebook or Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at CITR underscore Arts Report. And you can find us on Facebook under the name The Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. So my name is Christine Kim. Please tune in again next week, same time, 5 to 6 p.m. PST, for another edition. Have a great evening. Trago um fado no meu canto Canto a noite Até ser dia Do meu povo trago pranto No meu canto Amoraria Tenho saudades de mim Eu canto um peixe sem fim, o mar a terra, o meu fado, meu fado, meu fado, meu fado, meu fado,
Trago um fado no meu canto 